Hey, welcome to the Stephanie Stevens Show, where I help you discover the power of communication and the keys that unlock the doors to freedom in every area of your life. Well, hello, my dear sweet friend. On this episode, we have a special treat. I am interviewing hypnotherapist and trainer extraordinaire, Jessica Hansen. She is certified as a trainer. She works with some of the country's very best and most well-known hypnotherapists in a variety of genres to change people's lives in a very, very short period of time. And so today, we are going to get a little bit of insight from the experts regarding how your mind can change patterns of behavior so quickly and so simply with just a few few key little steps and pieces of knowledge. So we are going to dive in with Jess. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This is the Stephanie Stevens Show podcast, and I have the honor and privilege to be with my friend and and somebody who spent a lot of time training me in multiple genres, really, of hypnotherapy, Jessica Hansen, who is a, not only a certified hypnotherapist, but also a trainer to the stars. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> so Jessica, first things first, thank you so much for coming. It's so nice to see you. We're going to have a fantastic conversation. I know we will do this more than once because there's so much to unpack when it comes to the mind and communication, internal communication, external communication. So the podcast is really about communication and I want to dive into internal communication and the ways in which we actually truly affect change in any arena of our lives. Because there's a huge, in my opinion, missing element in the real world of therapeutics, um, at which I'm trained in, as you know, counseling, therapeutics, um, various genres, and there's a shortcut. I believe yeah. that there's a shortcut. And so I'm excited to talk about that with you. But first, just um, tell my friends about what you're trained in and what you're certified to train others in. Sure. So, well, it's so good to see you, Stephanie, again. It's been a little while. Yes. Um, if I had favorite students, you'd be one of my favorite students. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be my favorite teacher, instructor. <laughs> Yes. All right. On the flattery. Um, so yeah, I teach and certify in hypnosis. I am registered with the state of Minnesota. It's a private career school. Um, and it's just my passion. So and part of the teaching of hypnosis also includes uh parts therapy. And I've added a few new genres in there as well. Um, it's just very all-encompassing. So we get into hypnosis and health issues, how to work with those. Um, and just everyday life stuff as well. So you can work with anyone from just your average Joe to your professional when you're done. Yeah. One of the things that was fascinating to me to learn after I had spent a, uh, how long did we about six months? We were about six months. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So after spending about six months together, um, and going on to do medical hypnotherapy certification as well. One of the things that fascinates me is, and I'm really happy to see it happening, is that um, the medical, conventional allopathic medical community is really starting to not only get on board, but partner with uh, the utilization of the mind when it comes to healing, including here in, we're in, we're in the state of Minnesota in the United States and the Mayo Clinic's. Uh, not only partner with, but they actually refer their own patients to medical hypnotherapists. And so they're starting to be an education in those circles that is 
seeming to be really, really beneficial. And we're talking about top-notch medical facilities, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic, maybe some others I'm not aware of. So it's, it's gaining popularity and that's mm-hmm. exciting. And yet, Jess, I still feel like it's such an unknown, untapped uh, venue. Yeah. It is such an untapped venue. So a um, couple of things I want to make sure we hit. I want to hear your story and why you started training in and exploring hypnotherapy based on your own experiences and your past and different things that you tried based on different circumstances. And then I want to talk about how the mind works, because really, we don't get educated <laughs> in this, the model of the mind and why why um, we can bypass the circuits we bypass to create real change. So we're going to dive in and spend some time on these uh, today. And then of course, we're going to need to do a follow-up because there will not be enough time to unpack everything we want to today. So we'll do maybe a part two and a part three in a series. But first things first, you, um, you had a religious and spiritual background growing up as a child. And so to find your way to hypnotherapy seems like quite a stretch. How did you end up there? (laughs) Definitely. Um, I grew up Lutheran um, and then later in life transitioned to just open spirituality. But um, yeah, when 13, we had a tragedy in our family, a cousin about the same age passed away. And I had a, and in traditional religion, there's not a lot of room for precognitive dreams. That's dreaming about something and then having it happen. And of course, my life fell apart when my cousin passed away. And um, after that, the school didn't want me, you know, they're like, you need to go get an evaluation, you need meds, you need something, because I wasn't functioning in school. Mm. Um, as any normal person would in those circumstances. Uh, but my dad found a psychologist and she did all the testing so <laughs> I'm always clear like she did all the testing and said there's nothing wrong with you and teach you how to fix yourself so all the sessions Ruth and I spent together were just learning hypnosis um, and understand if you remember when you were 13 how traumatic everything is in life <laughs> or if anyone out there works with 13 you understand what Ruth was up against with me um, so it was just a fascinating journey. And after that, I kind of just put it on the back burner, but I was still using a lot of the tools she taught me just to cope and work through stuff. Um, after that, it was a number of years. Um, I lived in Florida on a um, religious community or like a commune type setting. Absolutely loved it. I called it my college years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we lived with people from all over the world. It was very much... Um, religious or Christ focused. So everything, you know, you would look at it and you go, oh, you guys are Mennonites or (laughs) Amish. So uh, very structured religiously. Uh, But there I also, I had my near-death experience. Um, A doctor prescribed a medication and I died. Mm. So needless to say, coming back, I came back, obviously I'm still here, but coming back, I used the hypnosis skills that Ruth had taught me to regain control of my body. Um, because I could not move, I could not speak, I could not see, it was absolutely terrifying and awful. Um, So I used it then. And then fast forward a few more years, uh, actually several after that, uh, my first husband passed away. 
and I had a little bit of time and money on my hands. So there was always more I wanted to explore with hypnosis. What could I do? What else was there? And I had some more things in my past I wanted to dig into. So I found a hypnotist and worked with him. And in the process of that, he looked at me one day and just said, you know, you remember way too much of what Ruth taught you. So why don't you just go get certified? He said, we should really switch chairs. You should be sitting here working on me. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then you did. I did. And I never looked back from that moment. I just figured let's go and see where it goes. So two people very close to you pass and you Mm -hmm. have your own experience of leaving your body, leaving the planet and Mm -hmm. then coming back again. That's incredible. And so Mm -hmm. in all of that, it really moved you into this arena of exploring spirituality in those ways and how our spirituality fits into our nervous system Mm -hmm. to navigate (laughs) the, the time and space and the dimension that we, our spirits, our minds find themselves in now. Pretty incredible. What is the model of the mind? (laughs) <laughs> I love well, that phrase model of the mind model of the mind I'm it. so fancy uh but no first I want to back up and just say that you know hypnosis is really the life skill that you are born with and taught to be afraid of that's you know a lot of people don't realize that and that's going to really segue into the model of the mind because and- we're we're born knowing how to do this we're just taught to be afraid of it That's a great point, an excellent point. In fact, one of the things, the phrases that you would say that stuck with me, that is the pinnacle is all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So there's Mm -hmm. this this fear that that exists around the idea of losing control and having somebody else, you know, plant some things into your mind and then you're walking around like a robot and following all of their base, you know, their, their commands. I really loved learning that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis because there are certain factors and gatekeepers that will really facilitate your experience that we Mm -hmm. own inside of us. Yeah. Um, And it's not to say that there aren't people out there doing malicious things like advertisers and and other stuff, but ideally you do, you have control and you're aware and you just, you have to choose and we don't always choose right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting point because you're right. There are subliminal advertisers who are really uh, working on our minds without our consent. Mm-hmm. At least when you meet with a professional, it's by consent and you're choosing and willing to go into an experience with yourself to work with the parts of your mind that create change. And yet it's so funny because we walk around every day, all day being bombarded with non-consensual hypnotherapy and mm-hmm. right all all day and it's thanks to our little phones that everyone carries from like the three-year-old to the 70 year old we are bombarded all day how do we move away from that how do we retrain how do we how do we deprogram what we didn't agree to be programmed with and how do we start creating some new neuropathways and programs that are beneficial well first it's awareness number one that you have a problem Because some people go through life and they have habits or ways of being that to them are not a problem. 
but to the people around them, they are a problem. So first, I think it's being aware that you have a problem and that you have something that, well, yeah, I want to work on this and change it. And the reason should really be for you, not for everyone around you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to, to have a reason um, and a desire. But yeah, how do you want to unpack the model of the mind? Because well, yeah, first things but, first, there's all this conventional, various forms of conventional therapeutics, modalities, and all sorts of stuff. Why do people spend years and decades in conventional therapy? I think, you know, from my personal experience going through traditional therapy in a couple of different forms, it becomes a safety net. It becomes a reliability thing in your life when nothing else is reliable. And in a lot of cases, the things you're talking about in those situations, your family and friends, the people who know you best, they are sick and tired of hearing your story. Mm-hmm. So you get to, you're paying for a friend, but this friend is listening to you non-judgmentally. Um, and you get to talk about whatever you need to talk about. Um, and it becomes almost an addiction after a while. Like you can't um, live without it because you have this friend who's never going to judge you Mm. like your friends and family will. Mm -hmm. Good point. And everybody needs a sounding board, right? Mm -hmm. And this sounding board is paid to sit and stare at you and nod their head (laughs) for 50 minutes. Yep. And does not even an hour anymore, 50 minutes. And then um, out you go. See you next week. Yep. So in my thought process. Um, if it were working well, you'd be done relatively soon because you'd be you you would have overcome the issue or the trauma or the wounding or the hurt or the whatever addiction. You would have overcome that. Yep. So how do we justify whether it's working or not? That's very hard to tell. Um in my world in hypnosis, when the client comes to me, it's you know, they're like they want to pour out their story again. And I tell them I don't really need to know that there are certain things I need to know to help you overcome this, but I don't need to know the entire story because I want to sleep at night too. (laughs) So if it's trauma, sexual abuse or rape, I mean, I start out with a little humor. Like I know you have trauma. I have trauma, but I want to sleep at night too. Yes. You're only going to tell me as much of the story as you think is relevant for the work we're going to do. But then I don't want to hear that story again. And I mean that in the most polite way possible, because retelling your story week after week or session after session is just, in a sense, re-traumatizing you. It's digging it back up. It's never letting it die, if that makes sense. It does. And one of the things I learned from you is that story will never, ever, ever be recalled or told the same way twice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said for what the mind continues to do over the course of time as mm-hmm. it's being forced to continue to recall and regurgitate a story. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to dive into that one for a yeah, second? That'd be great. Yes. <laughs> Just as like we've all heard, or a lot of people have heard the thing of, you know, three people or five people can witness an accident or an incident and every three or five, they're all going to have a different story of what happened, a different account, the car is going to be a different color, the driver is going to be a different ethnicity or different sex, nobody remembers it differently, or, you know, all the same. And the same with our memories, 
um, we can think that we're convinced this is the way it was. This is the way it happened. We might have the date right and the time, but every time we recall a memory, depending on the environment we're in, the time of day, the temperature, how, how much food is in our stomach, what our blood sugar level is, when if we have to go to the bathroom or not, the smells in the environment, everything around us is affecting that memory and how it comes up. Because we can never replicate the exact conditions of when that original incident happened that created the memory. So, you know, another way to put it would be like, okay, let's say you have a trauma that you're trying to remember. If I ask you to even smile while you're thinking about that trauma, you're going to access that memory differently. Wow. <laughs> so physical state, changing state can change state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I recall at one point you had me when I was explaining something to you and I know you do this. I don't remember what it was. It's something that was emotionally upsetting to me. And you had me take the pen. <laughs> and as I was talking and explaining the story, switch back and forth, back and forth. And uh, for those listening who aren't seeing video connected to this is just me passing the pen between my two hands, not crossing the midline of my body. So basically holding my hands straight out and just passing the pen to the left-hand side of my body and then to the right. And just, just in front of me, no dramatic movements. But even just doing that changed the way I presented emotionally regarding the situation. Yeah. Now, why is that? What is happening in the brain that is connected to the emotions that disrupts that pattern? What is happening? Because so in your specific case, if it was so it was some kind of fear, strong negative emotion that we were dealing with. Yeah. And when we have a strong negative negative emotion, we click into fight, flight or freeze. Most people in a strong negative emotional circumstance or event are going to freeze first because we're not taught to fight like there's um. Even the SWAT team gets trained in this kind of stuff. They, they've studied all these, like the mass shooting, the school shootings and stuff. And they say, you know, what happened in there when the shooter came in and they said, well, everyone froze. Mm -hmm. So society and movies and our phones and our lives have conditioned us to freeze, not to fight. So our emotion then is stuck, frozen. So every time you think of that negative thing that happened or event, you actually freeze. If you watch people talk about a negative event in their life, they're going to freeze while they talk about it. Hmm. But if you get them to move, as simple as passing a pen from hand to hand or a set of keys or a coffee cup, all of a sudden it starts to move the body and free up some bandwidth and it changes that memory. You come out of the emotion and you can view it from a different angle. Hmm not in it you're starting to come back outside of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting and so when we talked about some of the techniques that we learned to use um, one of them includes allowing yourself to be in a different perspective in a different location from mm -hmm. the event right in many cases it's raising above the circumstance or event and kind of looking down across maybe a timeline, if it's working on some type of event on a specific mm -hmm. timeline and looking down at that event. And so explain how that works and why that works 
when reframing any given circumstance or trauma? Yeah, it's fun work <laughs> uh, because it works so effectively and people can do this to themselves too. But basically you find where that emotion is or where that event is, or if it's happening to you in the moment, you recognize, oh, it's this thing again. And take a moment, take a breath and imagine you could step outside of the event, outside of the emotion it's really important to, when someone's in this, to help them step outside the emotion that's attached. Because if we stay in the emotion, we stay wrapped up in the event mm -hmm. and we can't see beyond. It's like the horse with blinders. You can't see anything else outside of the event. But if you can even turn off the emotion for a moment, step back from it and view it as an observer, um, there's several different techniques. There's, you know, like a library, uh, theater technique. Mm -hmm. There's like the timeline where you can rise up above the event on your timeline and just view it as an observer, like flying past it or hovering over it. What do you see these actors down here doing? Mm -hmm. And because up here, generally, you're not hearing the sound. You're not feeling the feelings. You're not in it you're just observing mm -hmm. kind of like watching a movie on mute mm -hmm. in a sense and that really diffuses a lot of the energy that's attached to it and the emotion and I've noticed that when you observe it from a different perspective you see different things that you can't see at eye level or on the same field so let's say you're above it looking down uh, I noticed that people tend to see things before or after the event that they didn't see in the moment because their nervous system was wrapped up in that immediate survival response rather than taking in some of the other very pertinent information. They took it in, but they yep. couldn't, they can't recall it until they yep. get into a space where they're the detached observer. Yep. And it's, and keeping in mind as well, the memory is very valuable. So, you know, you can still look at it from a distance and detached as that observer, but it still doesn't mean that you're going to remember the color and mm -hmm. the exact, you know, there's a lot of things at play, but memory is very valuable. They've proved it over and over. Um, it's why they no longer use hypnosis as forensic evidence in court cases. It just, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's too many ways to lead a client to believe it was this or that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's fun, even though you can step outside and get a different perspective, it's amazing how fast and effective it is just by having that different perspective, how you can diffuse that emotion or event in your life and it just neutralizes it mm -hmm. and you can move past it. So let's have you unpack the model of the mind, meaning the different parts of the mind. What are the different parts and what do those parts do? <laughs> so fun <laughs> so now I'm going oh boy I should have my book but um yes, but I have your book and I have some of the other books that we read together as well uh, from the life so, of Roy Hunter and others yeah no with the model of the mind I am like so you're not talking like brain hemispheres so much no I'm just talking uh, about there's that subconscious you know unconscious uh, and what those portions are there for, what they do. And because what I want to get to is why willpower doesn't work. 
<laughs> and why there's a, a simpler, faster way <laughs> than banging your head every day, setting the alarm, I got to get up, I got to exercise. That whole ridiculous nonsense that we all go through thinking that our willpower and we're just going to suck it up and go do it. Why that just continues to fail. And we're coming up at the end of the year. So there's so many people that are going to be making new year's resolutions mm -hmm. and then four and five days in, they've already failed. And now they're back to being sad and, you know, looking for a new strategy, pathway, product system, you name it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So okay, the parts good. of the mind that we work with and, and how they, what they do, how, you know, how they do what they do essentially. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's, so this is going to differ in a lot of hypnosis circles, but generally we say we have the conscious and unconscious or subconscious mind. Those are the ones I stick with because I'm simple and my clients are simple people and it just makes it easy. <laughs> we don't have to be too geeky in this, mm -hmm. but I like to go back and set it up in this way for people. Like, so when you were born or when you were created in the womb, um, you were just this compilation of cells. You were being formed, but you were learning in the womb. That's where your initial learning starts. And I just have to throw in, if you guys are really excited about this, just look up birth psychology. Um, I have a colleague, um, Ivana Lomardo. I just talked to her last night and she went to a birth psychology conference and these are like German people that are studying this mm -hmm. amazing stuff. She's like, you know, we thought with hypnosis, you could, there was a certain age. She's like, no, they're tracing this back to in utero where a lot of our issues in life come from. It is fascinating stuff. I need to have more conversation with her, but so anyways, in the womb, we are learning and we're learning not only like mom and dad's voice, but a lot of other things, just what's safe, what's not safe. And again, a lot of our life is getting set up there. So fast forward from that, you come out into the world, kicking and screaming, hopefully. And from about the, after that, you're just a sponge for a while, around the age of two, after your vision has formed and you start to like, oh, I have fingers and I have toes. And if I do this, mom does this, if I do this, dad does that. If I do this, the dog gets mad, that kind of stuff. <laughs> We start to form this, <laughs> this little sense of like, who am I kind of, and you know, what, what can I do? What am I capable of? But from about the age, and now I've changed this because the literature is, does not say this. The literature is like ages two to seven. I'm changing it to two to 12 for a few reasons. Um, number one, because age 12 and 13 in a lot of cultures is the age of responsibility because the brain is starting to become a lot more mature. Um, it's not fully developed, but I think shifting this age range from two to 12 is a little more fair. So between the ages of two and 12, we have, we're being given suggestions from everyone. Our parents, pastors, teachers, mentors, grandparents, friends, um, the dog, anyone we meet is giving us suggestions. And sadly, in today's society, it's the television or the phone that's giving us suggestions. Mm -hmm. The scary part is all the suggestions that come to us between the age of two and 12 are not ours. They are suggestions, what everyone around us thinks 
and believes we should do have be and become they're really not our choice they are just kind of hammered into us instilled in us so you know well we go to church on sunday wednesday nights we go to church or whatever you know or if you're catholic at saturdays or fridays um it's all instilled in us we don't have a choice it's all the programming that's coming in is not ours it's everyone around us but the ages of two and 12 are setting the pattern for how we are going to run our lives as adults. It's our default program and it's being formed then. And there's no way out of it unless we all of a sudden get exposed to a new idea or when we get older, which I'll talk about after a bit, we can go back in with hypnosis and some other techniques to change these. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and I love that you brought up the holiday season because I'll talk about that in a moment if you want to watch some of this stuff in action actually playing out um so but after the ages of like 12 and about 12 to 18 um we start to form a better sense of self and in there as well um i know you like the inner bouncer <laughs> i do <laughs> <laughs> um somewhere back there about the age of seven or eight uh, i like to say that there's this inner bouncer that starts to form and it's the way I've been putting it lately is, you know, it's it's that person who just stands at the door and they're like, you know, you don't look like you're dressed right. You can't come in tonight. Or, you know, I just, I don't like the way you smell. You're not coming in. And, you know, I don't like what you just said. You're not coming in. So it's that inner, like, you know, no, you're full of BS. You stay away. The gatekeeper. We develop this inner bouncer. Yeah. The gatekeeper. Yeah. It's like, you're not getting in. I got the keys. Ha ha. Yes. <laughs> what I say goes. <laughs> yep, that's right. And uh, as we get uh, older, this gatekeeper, this bouncer gets a lot harder to get through. So about the age of 12 and you, anyone who's been a parent knows this, like you start to get the eye rolls more and the, but mom, but dad and mom and dad become really uncool really fast. Cause you know, they don't know anything and the world is telling your child everything else. That's right. And they're starting finally in these ages of 13 to 18 to sort out all this stuff they've been told about themselves. And they're starting to decide, well, who really am I? Mm -hmm. And my analogy for that is like when you go clothes shopping and you're trying to find that perfect outfit, how many things do you try on before you find just the one that fits you, mm -hmm. right? So between the ages of like 13 to 18, you're just trying on different personas, different hats, different roles to see who in the heck am I, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> so we have no clue. Then after, yeah, after the age of 18, then I like to say that inner bouncer becomes locked. Like he just locks the door and hides the key and says, nobody's getting in. And of course, stuff does get in the important things like that equal freedom, like driving, job skills to get money because money equals freedom, driving equals freedom, that kind of stuff. We just want to get away from everything and really find out who we are, test drive ourselves, if that's a you know good example, a good metaphor. Mm -hmm. And we go beat our head against the world for a while to beat out all the stuff that we were programmed <laughs> And some of us, some of us beat our head a little longer than others. Yeah. Um, and some of them just never quit. 
they they never um, make the changes that need to be made. You know, they're just not willing to change or don't know how to change. And it can come out in ugly ways later in life. So, you know, a lot of the clients that come to you and to me as well are just people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and all of a sudden they can't handle a coworker or a boss or they there's just a situation they can't cope with. It's crippling them and they don't know why. Yeah. And the reason why is because back there between those ages of two and 12, something very similar happened and they never learned to cope. So this is where I want to throw in real quick. If you want to watch this in action, we have the holiday season coming up. Just go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. my clients, I'm so mean, but I'm like, it's really true. Go stand in a store for just half an hour around a busy time. And you will watch adults in line regress to four to eight years old because, damn it, I have places to go, things to do. And all these stupid people are in line. Why don't they open up more registers and blah, 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 blah. And they will start to regress and throw adult temper tantrums in the grocery store or in the, you know, department store or wherever you're at. Yeah. Guilty as charged. Yes. (laughs) I've done that more than once. Not like physical tantrum, but I will make myself quite clear through my nonverbal behavior of eye rolling, (laughs) sighing, shifting my weight, muttering under my breath. I mean, there are really only two registers open and there's 45 people here, you know, all of those little passive aggressive things. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Been there and done that. But how might you work me through that? So what would change, Jessica, just because I say, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. What is going to really create the change so that I don't continue that behavior? Yeah, so there's a, a few different techniques, but my favorite one for this, and it again comes from, from Roy Hunter, who's my mentor in this one, but regression or, or parts therapy. Um, a lot of times it's as simple as, like we were discussing earlier, going back to that memory, um, finding, tracing back through time, your, your narrative of when did this behavior start? somewhere we usually end up between the age of two and 12 it started somewhere there and we find that event what we feel like is the event that that triggered it that you never got past and we bring coping skills we bring life skills to that little one who is still wounded back there still has no clue how to deal with this so either we bring adult you know client back so let's like if you're the example and let's say we ended up at age six with you where something happened so then we would bring adult stephanie with all of her wisdom and knowledge of how the world works now and how to cope with life and have adult stephanie work with six-year-old stephanie in your mind with your eyes closed and it's amazing the things that happen when we let adult confront child and get down to their level and meet the needs of that young one and then embrace them. I always like the embrace because we don't touch, we don't hug in society anymore. So in their minds, they hold and hug that little one, that younger them and welcome them back inside. Because it's almost like in a way we alienate that part of ourself who isn't behaving. We leave them in the corner mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just welcoming them back home and and then growing them up, there's a little process. We, I just, it's really quick imagining them growing up and imagining 
every time you've had this trigger, this old thing in the past, watch now how it's changed, how you cope with it so much differently and better. You respond rather than react. Mm-hmm. And then we just do some future pacing for like future events because, hey, they're going to come up. And usually that takes care of it. And you want to set the stage and already practice in your mind's eye that successful future event yeah. and how it's yep. going to be navigated and how successfully and beautifully we're going to experience mm-hmm. that. So yeah. what are a lot of the things that people typically find themselves in your office for? Like just mm-hmm. top, top issues. Lately, anxiety has been huge after COVID. Just people cannot cope with life. Um, Weight release is another big one. Um, Smoking is up there. And then it's just a myriad of of things after that. Those, um, a lot of the stuff I find as well, I can trace back to a grief issue. And it's not always like grief as death. It's grief as, well, I can't do this anymore. Or, you know, I, because of COVID, I, I didn't get to do this. I've lost this, what I was used to do. So it's not always death. Sometimes it's just, you lose something and you really miss it or it's not available. And why do you think so that when, when, by the way, friends, when Jessica says weight release, that's the term we use rather than losing weight or weight loss, because heaven forbid you lose it. Why Jessica? Because it'll always... You want to find things you lose, right? That's right. The mind will search for the thing we lost. So we don't want your mind to start searching for that weight that you lost. So we can bring it back and put it right back on your thighs. Uh, We want it to stay bye-bye. So that's why Jessica uses the term weight release. Smoking cessation is typically the term for quitting smoking. You know, things like trauma or habitual, like just patterns or OCDs and things like that. Anxieties. People just don't know how to relax. They don't know how to talk their mind and their body through progressive relaxation. That's one of the juiciest things that I've seen Jessica in your office that we all came to really love and enjoy and watch people engage the experience of that progressive relaxation and watching even their faces go from hard, intense to soft and childlike over the course of them moving deeper, further, wider into that beautiful, perfect, peaceful place. Mm -hmm. It's magical. It's beautiful. But that being said, those things that you highlighted there, why is it, let me, let me be careful how I phrase this. Why can it be so much faster with this type of therapy than with conventional talk therapy? Why can somebody come into your office and after two hours be begin the pathway to be losing 40 pounds or spend two hours in your office and start the pathway to never picking up another cigarette and putting it to their lips again. Why does it work or why can it work (laughs) so much faster in some cases than talk therapy? Because your client comes to you with all the answers Our job is to, like my mentor Ruth said years ago, I'm going to teach you how to fix yourself. You know, that is why I do client-centered hypnosis or my client, no matter what their problem is, they have the answer inside of them. They have all the skills to heal themselves. I'm just a guide. I know that the fancy words and metaphors to help get them there when they can't see beyond the next step, but when they take the initiative, here's the conversation I yesterday of why 
with our other fellow student. Um, she was talking with, uh, with Tony. She's like, you know, I love this because they are taking the initiative in their own healing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to fix them. You go to a doctor, you want the Band-Aid, you want the medication, you want the quick fix, like fix me, you know, I'm broken, but you fix me. Yeah, they're coming to me, they're, they're starting with that model, that thought process. But I'm like, no, you're going to fix yourself. Mm. And I'm going to walk you through the steps to do that. Mm -hmm. So they, so I tell people, this is only going to work as fast or as slow as you're ready to make this change. Some people are really ready. And those are those amazing one and done people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I never see them. Other people, it takes a few seconds. But even a few sessions, that's so much different from months worth of weekly sessions or in many, many people's cases, years of yeah. sessions. I mean, when you're talking about two and three sessions to completely overcome and move through a specific issue that's been bothering you or troubling you for decades is pretty powerful. Because you're not digging it up every session. You're not reliving it. You're focusing on what is my outcome? How do I want to be? How do I want to respond? Mm -hmm. You know, what does it feel like when I'm 10 pounds lighter? Mm. How am I going to be, you know, reacting to the world, responding to the world? That's right. You you have to you have to set up that mm -hmm. because honestly, when I was in the um the realm of you know, I I grew up with some trauma in my life in the background, and I was so afraid of the good stuff. Everyone's like, well, it's so good over here if you just you know do this or do that and come over here. But the bad that I know was safe and the, the good that I didn't know was terrifying as hell. Mm -hmm. So you have to start to build this healed person image persona in their mind and let them try it on for a while, just like trying on clothes and seeing what fits and adjusting that. So when they get there, they don't go, oh God, this is not what I wanted. You know, give me back. The, I, I want to yeah. go back to the scary place. <laughs> right. Yeah, the familiar, yeah, the homeostasis. And so one of the things that our minds like to do is once they think, once once they know that you're surviving, you're living, we'll just keep it the same. We just won't tip the apple cart. Homeostasis, we're just gonna stay here. We're alive, we're good, we're safe, we're functioning. This is good. And people who want to take it to the next level and Jessica, that's my audience. Everybody's here to grow and expand and learn and, and really uh, tap into their highest potential in whatever genre or arena they're creating in, you know? So this is about continued expansion. And one of the things that I thought was so unique and beneficial, I remember working with a woman in your office, doing this with her, she wanted to, she wanted to, wasn't the focus wasn't even weight release so much as it was, I know I'll, re I'll, I'll release the weight. I just need to get out of bed when the alarm mm. goes off. Cause mm, if I yes. do, I'm good. Once I'm out of bed, I'm good. I'll get on the treadmill. I'll do my thing. I'll make my meals. But she just struggled. And so what, what was so fascinating was when we determined, and this is in, in so many cases, who what other thought processes are in there that don't want you to get up in the morning? Mm -hmm. What other thought processes are in there that want to sabotage your effort toward this and why? 
Well, if you change, you might not be as available for your kids first thing in the morning who are going to bother you for breakfast. And if you change, you know, your husband may respond to you in a little bit of a different way. And is that going to be okay? So getting the help, getting the help of everybody, all of those little different thought processes and rabbit trail, getting them all together and saying, you know, this woman really wants to feel better. She wants more energy. She wants to feel healthy. She wants to look good. She wants to take her grandkids on a walk. Can we all cooperate now so that we can meet yeah. this really positive end for her? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and when you, when you explain it to the mind that way, it's like, oh, well, is that all we're doing? Sure. If it's going to mean better, yeah, then okay, then we're good. Yeah. But don't ask us to do anything we don't want to do, you know, right? Because we need to stay safe. Oh, good. Think of how much safer you'll be when you can walk up and down the stairs, when you can bend over to pick up your grandchildren. I remember that was one woman's huge motivator. I want to sit on the floor and be able to pick up my grandbabies. Well, here's what it's going to take. Some of the weight's going to have to come off so the joints can move. You know, so the flexibility returns and to, to, to really watch and observe that transformation in real time and watch how quickly the mind can fall into line to start creating the real changes that person wants to make is fascinating. We didn't yeah. know that it worked this way. We were never told that it works this way. No. So to find that this is really how simple it can be and how quick the transformation can be, can be a game changer for just mm -hmm. about anybody who starts to learn the skills. Oh, definitely. It's so easy. And it's really what it comes down to is almost sales in a form. You're just selling the benefits. You're not even focused on once you know what the issue is, you're just focused on what are the benefits? What are the pluses mm -hmm. to you? changing this or getting rid of it or eliminating it from your life. You're just selling what they really want back to them yeah. <laughs> for change. Then mm. they, they have to believe. So going back to like, how does this all happen? Well, you know, again, we have to know what the issue is. We have to imagine that there's a possibility beyond this and then believe that we can believe we're worthy of it. Like, you know, Damn it, I'm, I'm worthy of change. I'm worthy of sitting on the floor with my grandchildren, whatever it is. But then it's creating that expectation for change. So we're just selling what the person tells us, selling it back to them. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so good. And then on the flip side of that coin, and then along those lines, helping, helping the mind, like in that, the case of the woman who wanted to get up early in the morning, just, mm -hmm. just helping her mind know when that alarm clock goes off, not only do I get up, but I actually wake up 30 seconds before that alarm goes off because I'm ready because I'm so excited about this change that's about to take place. My body is so ready and willing to engage the activity that creates this change. I can see it. I can feel it. I can hear what my friends are saying to me. I can feel my body moving lighter. I'm looking in the mirror. Now I'm turning around. I'm looking to see the different shape of my body. Like when they start getting excited, I'll never forget Jessica when she did a follow-up and she said, sure enough, I wake up about <laughs> two minutes before that alarm goes off every morning and I get up. And it yep. was so, it just, it, it still sends chills up and down my arms because I think we have such a powerful tool that we have not been trained how to use. And God 
gave it to us. It is a creation for our benefit and it's right between our ears and we engage yep. it in nonsense and garbage so much of the time, we haven't even begun to tap the surface of how powerful it is and how much powerful and impactful change can be made, not only for us, but really when you think of the stories we've told today, Jessica, about the people that we love and want to influence, grandchildren, yep. family members, our community, our loved ones, the people we serve, the people we have vision to serve. I mean, mm -hmm. when we get to change ourselves, boom, good, done. Now what's next? Who's next? Right? Yep. <laughs> And that's why we can really affect change. Yeah, I think. And I want to throw in there too. Um, I tell a lot of clients because in Wilmer, Minnesota, I live in a very religious community. There's lots of different churches here. Mm -hmm. um, so my thing for clients are like, oh, you know, am I going to get a demon doing this? Or is it bad? Is this, you know, mm -hmm. well, the Catholic church adopted hypnosis as an acceptable mode of healing for their people like years ago, I forget the date right offhand. But also, I always tell people, you know, prayer is the original hypnosis. If you do prayer properly, you're supposed to step outside of what's bothering you, your issue. And the church, the physical church building is just a place, a safe, sacred space where people are supposed to hold space for you to be able to do this through prayer, through gathering together, through songs, through devotions, through sermons, X, Y, Z. But in that space, you should be able to, during prayer, step outside, just like we talked about taking a different viewpoint, but stepping outside of your problem, leaving it there in the pew or the aisle or up at the altar, leaving it there and walking out of that church without mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. to, to see like, you know what? Yeah, I can make it through a whole week without this problem. And then leave it there for the janitor to throw away. You know, and don't <laughs> don't come back to the church on Monday morning looking for your problem. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Because it won't be there. The janitor will have swept it away. So don't look for it. <laughs> oh, I would just great. that way. They just they just unfold you know they're they're ready because that's that's really what it is and it's what jesus taught so yeah such good point well and when we think about some of the the disciples and the mountain the mount of transfiguration and the uh, when we think about the experiences the visions and the things that really they engaged um we know it's there um and we we know that our minds have the ability and the capacity to see and vision and receive things outside of this dimension. And that yeah. is a part of us being made in the likeness and image of the creator as, yeah. as a, a, a byproduct of creation, you know, yeah. um, nature and nature's God, us and our creator. And, yeah. you know, it's really beautiful when you think, about the gift, the gift that was given to us in this. And I think, Jessica, that's in large part why we don't ever learn about it. We don't hear about it in school. We don't really learn about it in most churches. But, but no. one of the grandest gift the creator gave, gave us and gifted us was the, the tools that are encompassed inside of the mind and everything that it can do and experience that we shove and squash and contain into this little thing we call a body, how much more expanded and how wider and broader it is. And we somehow smash it in here, but we don't have yep. to, it doesn't have to stay there all the time. And yep. frankly, it shouldn't. No. Um, 
So, okay, we are going to do a to be continued because I know this is going to, this is going to start <laughs> a lot of wonderful conversation and a lot more questions to come. So um, before I let you go today, I want you to tell my friends about your book. Well, you've had, you have a couple books. So about your books and then also <laughs> most of the, a lot of the people, we have a couple thousand um, friends and community members, listeners here in Minnesota, but, but then also in 11 countries and 27 states. So you can't all come see and visit Jessica firsthand, but if you wanted to visit her website or find out more about her writings and teachings, you could definitely do that. So why don't you share just a little bit about that? Sure. So a few books one it's it's not much but it was based on a talk i did it's just turtle tracks and rabbit trails it's about pacing and leading people in conversation um it's geared more toward the hypnotist but i think anyone can read it i have abracadabra which is about your words um i speak as i create um the meaning of ab the word abracadabra and how powerful your words and thoughts really are and, um, and before you before you go on let me just say you've captured that You've captured that and demystified that what we always thought was abracadabra or abracadabra and magic and black magic. You've really taken that, broken down the definition and helped the reader comprehend what we've been talking about today, the power of the word and the, and the, the spirit behind the words that are spoken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have my, my ever in progress book. It's always changing and growing, but um, hypnopharmacia how you create in your own mind and body all of the chemicals needed to heal yourself. So it's in the field of neuropsychoimmunology. Um, fascinating. I just keep adding to it. It's um, it's only this thick at this yeah, point. It, it's like only four like, inches thick right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it keeps growing. Someday I'm going to put it all online. And of course, you know, author of the turtle transformation process in my office, which you're certified in. Yay! So uh, enjoy that but yeah otherwise um co-author of um iact international association of counselors and therapists um their training material for hypnotists i'm a co-author of that with michael watson yeah just throwing more stuff in the mix all the time but so training is my one of my new passions i still see people um you can find out more than you want to find out about me on my website Wilmer hypnosis it's w i l l m a r and then hypnosis.com you can find my contact information there, as well as some some other products, digital products for purchase. I am working with Roy Hunter. He's a very well-known hypnotist in the industry, very well-respected and honor, highly honored as well. Um, we are working in collaboration. Um, he has allowed me to help carry his work forward in the event that something happens to him so that his books will continue to be published and his um his amazing programs which he has written like parts therapy certification and um regression and some other things that he's specifically put together for hypnotists over the years and all of his knowledge so that that gets carried forward it doesn't get left behind in the event that something happens to him so mm. it's a huge honor and big shoes to fill <laughs> no but kidding. i'm, I'm heard that so wow and the books he's written and the work he's done that oh. that's quite an honor to to have him um, name you as his plan of secession or his, you know, successor. That's incredible. Jessica really speaks a lot about your work and your training and all, all, all of the things that you're doing in this arena. So thank you so much for that.
You're welcome. Thanks for your time. And we will do a part two. Thanks so much for listening to The Stephanie Stevens Show. Please remember to subscribe so we can stay connected and you never miss an episode of the podcast. Oh, and if you haven't left a rating yet, please be sure to do so. It helps incredible people like you find the podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.